Hey everyone, it is I, D.B. Spitzer. Welcome once again to Black Clock Audio Tales, always hosted by BunnySlippers.com and FoundItemClothing.com. Check out the Wooly Bully Highland Cow Slippers. I know they're just called Highland Cow Slippers, but I can't help saying Wooly Bully. Hope you're all doing well. Hope you are all feeling well. Just to let you know, I am going to start just uploading as many of these Oz books as possible, just so people have stuff to listen to. If you have kids and you want them to listen to something that's not going to have a bunch of scary or weird stuff in it, eh, you might want to go elsewhere. No, I'm kidding. Oz, the Oz books generally are pretty children safe. There may be a few spooky parts here and there, but you know what? Everyone gets through it in the end. There's every story has Dorothy with a little animal and some friends, and you know, it's fun stuff. It's it's fun stuff. You know. I've been holding stuff together. I've been baking bread, making pasta, canning stuff, brewing. Um, and then I've been doing stuff that I don't normally do. <laughs> you know, the anxiety and the food stuff. That's I'm always doing that stuff. But lately I have been constructing instruments out of junk. You can check that stuff out on Instagram. I'm currently working on a couple of canjos and a uh, cigar box ukulele. Ukulele, whatever you want to call it. If you are interested in that kind of stuff, or if you want to check out and help the show by, I don't know, going to our Patreon at patreon.pgttcm.com, or however you get to Patreon, I can't remember, uh, you can also go to pgttcm.com, find out how to help our show by buying shirts. We're going to have some Dave's Underground Goat Shenanigans shirts coming up pretty soon from uh, shirts for or Oleander, Wash uh, Oregon, and shirts for Uncle Owen's Goat Farm coming up in... Los Futuro. Oh man, my Spanish is terrible. But it shouldn't be because I've been watching DuckTales and Troll Movie and all that other fun stuff in Spanish. Um, Libra Soy, Libra Soy. Yes. I hope you're all doing well. I keep saying I hope you're all doing well because I do hope you're all doing well. I can tell that a lot more people are listening. And thank you all for all of our new listeners. You guys are awesome. You ladies, everyone. Um, and anyone in between, I think you're all great. And, you know, I, I, I hope you're coming up with new recipes. I hope you've all watched Tiger King and all that fun stuff. And, you know, everything else that everyone else is talking about. Me, I'm going through old books, working on stuff outside, trying to stay away from TV and just listening to podcasts. Been listening to a lot of Doughboys and Small Town Dicks. Quite the juxtaposition. <laughs> All right, here we go with L. Frank Baum. Said it right this time. Road to Oz. Chapter 10 Escaping the Soup Kettle. The shaggy man got up and felt himself to see if he was hurt, but he was not. One of the heads had struck his breast and the other his left shoulder, yet, though they had knocked him down, the heads were not hard enough to bruise him. Come on, he said firmly. We've got to get out of here some way. And forward he started again. The scootlers began yelling and throwing their heads in great numbers at our frightened friends. The shaggy man was knocked over again, and so was Button Bright, who kicked his heels against the ground and howled as loud as he could, although he was not hurt a bit. One head struck Toto, who first yelped, and then grabbed the head by an ear and started running away with it. The scootlers who had thrown their heads began to scramble down and run to pick them up with wonderful quickness. 
but the one whose head Toto had stolen found it hard to get it back again. The head couldn't see the body with either pair of its eyes, because the dog was in the way, so the headless scootler stumbled around over the rocks and tripped on them more than once in its effort to regain its top. Toto was trying to get outside the rocks and roll the head down the hill, but some of the other scootlers came to the rescue of their unfortunate comrade and pelted the dog with their own heads until he was obliged to drop his burden and hurry back to Dorothy. The little girl and the rainbow's daughter had both escaped the shower of heads, but they saw now that it would be useless to try to run away from the dreadful scootlers. We may as well submit, declared the shaggy man in a rueful voice, as he got upon his feet again. He turned toward their foes and asked, What do you want us to do? Come, they cried in a triumphant chorus, and at once sprang from the rocks and surrounded their captives on all sides. One funny thing about the scootlers was that they could walk in either direction, coming or going, without turning around, because they had two faces, and, as Dorothy said, two front sides, and their feet were shaped like the letter T upside down. They moved with great rapidity, and there was something about their glittering eyes and contrasting colors and removable heads that inspired the poor prisoners with horror and made them long to escape. But the creatures led their captives away from the rocks and the road, down the hill by a side path, until they came before a low mountain of rock that looked like a huge bowl turned upside down. At the edge of this mountain was a deep gulf, so deep that when you looked into it there was nothing but blackness below. Across the gulf was a narrow bridge of rock, and at the other end of the bridge was an arched opening that led into the mountain. Over this bridge the scootlers led their prisoners through the opening into the mountain, which they found to be an immense hollow dome lighted by several holes in the roof. All around the circular space were built rock houses set close together, each with a door in the front wall. None of these houses was more than six feet wide, but the scootlers were thin people sidewise and did not need much room. So vast was the dome that there was a space in the middle of the cave, in front of all these houses, where the creatures might congregate as in a great hall. It made Dorothy shudder to see a huge iron kettle suspended by a stout chain in the middle of the place, and underneath the kettle a great heap of kindling wood and shavings ready to light. What's that? asked the shaggy man, drawing back as they approached this place, so that they were forced to push him forward. The soup kettle! yelled the scootlers, and then they shouted in the next breath, We're hungry! Button Bright, holding Dorothy's hand in one chubby fist, and Polly's hand in the other, was so affected by this shout that he began to cry again, repeating the protest, Don't want to be soup! I don't! Never mind, said the shaggy man consolingly. I ought to make enough soup to feed them all. I'm so big. So I'll ask them to put me in the kettle first. All right, said Button Bright more cheerfully. But the scootlers were not ready to make soup yet. They led the captives into a house at the farthest side of the cave, a house somewhat wider than the others. 
Who lives here? asked the rainbow's daughter. The scootlers nearest her replied, The Queen. It made Dorothy hopeful to learn that a woman ruled over these fierce creatures. But a moment later they were ushered by two or three of the escort into a gloomy, bare room, and her hope died away. For the queen of the scootlers proved to be much more dreadful in appearance than any of her people. One side of her was fiery red, with jet black hair and green eyes, and the other side of her was bright yellow, with crimson hair and black eyes. She wore a short skirt of red and yellow, and her hair, instead of being banged, was a tangle of short curls upon which rested a circular crown of silver, much dented and twisted, because the queen had thrown her head at so many things so many times. Her form was lean and bony, and both her faces were deeply wrinkled. What have we here? asked the queen sharply, as our friends were made to stand before her. Soup! cried the guard of the scootlers, speaking together. We're not, said Dorothy indignantly. We're nothing of the sort. Ah, but you will be soon, retorted the queen, a grim smile making her look more dreadful than before. Pardon me, most beautiful vision, said the shaggy man, bowing before the queen politely. I must request your serene highness to let us go our way without being made into soup, for I own the love magnet, and whoever meets me must love me and all my friends. True, replied the queen. We love you very much, so much that we intend to eat your broth with real pleasure. But tell me, do you think I am so beautiful? You won't be at all beautiful if you eat me, he said, shaking his head sadly. Handsome is as handsome does, you know. The queen turned to Button Bright. Do you think I am beautiful? she asked. No, said the boy. You're ugly. I think you're a fright, said Dorothy. If you could see yourself, you'd be terribly scared, added Polly. The queen scowled at them and flopped from her red side to her yellow side. Take them away, she commanded the guard, and at six o'clock run them through the meat chopper and start the soup kettle boiling, and put plenty of salt in the broth this time, or I'll punish the cook severely. And onions, your majesty? asked one of the guard. Plenty of onions and garlic and a dash of red pepper. Now go. The scootlers led the captives away and shut them up in one of the houses, leaving only a single scootler to keep guard. The place was a sort of storehouse containing bags of potatoes and baskets of carrots, onions, and turnips. These, said their guard, pointing to the vegetables, we use to flavor our soups with. The prisoners were rather disheartened by this time, for they saw no way to escape, and did not know how soon it would be six o'clock and the time for the meat chopper to begin work. But the shaggy man was brave and did not intend to submit to such a horrid fate without a struggle. I'm going to fight for our lives, he whispered to the children, for if I fail, we will be no worse off than before. And to sit here quietly until we are made into soup would be foolish and cowardly. 
The scootler on guard stood near the doorway, turning first his white side toward them and then his black side, as if he wanted to show to all of his greedy four eyes the sight of so many fat prisoners. The captives sat in a sorrowful group at the other end of the room, except Polychrome, who danced back and forth in the little place to keep herself warm, for she felt the chill of the cave. Whenever she approached the shaggy man, he would whisper something in her ear, and Polly would nod her pretty head as if she understood. The shaggy man told Dorothy and Button Bright to stand before him while he emptied the potatoes out of one of the sacks. When this had been secretly done, little Polychrome, dancing near to the guard, suddenly reached out her hand and slapped his face, the next instant whirling away from him quickly to rejoin her friends. The angry scootler at once picked off his head and hurled it at the rainbow's daughter, but the shaggy man was expecting that, and caught the head very neatly, putting it in the sack which he tied at the mouth. The body of the guard, not having the eyes of its head to guide it, ran here and there in an aimless manner, and the shaggy man easily dodged it and opened the door. Fortunately, there was no one in the big cave at that moment, so he told Dorothy and Polly to run as fast as they could for the entrance and out across the narrow bridge. I'll carry Button Bright, he said, for he knew the little boy's legs were too short to run fast. Dorothy picked up Toto and then seized Polly's hand and ran swiftly toward the entrance to the cave. The shaggy man perched Button Bright on his shoulders and ran after them. They moved so quickly, and their escape was so wholly unexpected, that they had almost reached the bridge when one of the scootlers looked out of his house and saw them. The creature raised a shrill cry that brought all of its fellows bounding out of the numerous doors, and at once they started in chase. Dorothy and Polly had reached the bridge and crossed it when the scootlers began throwing their heads. One of the queer missiles struck the shaggy man on his back and nearly knocked him over, but he was at the mouth of the cave now, so he set down Button Bright and told the boy to run across the bridge to Dorothy. Then the shaggy man turned around and faced his enemies, standing just outside the opening. And as fast as they threw their heads at him, he caught them and tossed them into the black gulf below. The headless bodies of the foremost scootlers kept the others from running close up, but they also threw their heads in an effort to stop the escaping prisoners. The shaggy man caught them all and sent them whirling down into the black gulf. Among them, he noticed the crimson and yellow head of the queen. And this he tossed after the others with a right good will. Presently, every scootler of the lot had thrown its head, and every head was down in the deep gulf, and now the helpless bodies of the creatures were mixed together in the cave and wriggling around in a vain attempt to discover what had become of their heads. The shaggy man laughed and walked across the bridge to rejoin his companions. It's lucky I learned to play baseball when I was young, he remarked, for I caught all those heads easily and never missed one. But come along, little ones. The scootlers will never bother us or anyone else any more. Button Bright was still frightened and kept insisting, 
I don't want to be soup, for the victory had been gained so suddenly that the boy did not realize they were free and safe. But the shaggy man assured him that all danger of their being made into soup was now past, as the scootlers would be unable to eat soup for some time to come. So now, anxious to get away from the horrid gloomy cave as soon as possible, they hastened up the hillside and regained the road just beyond the place where they had first met the scootlers, and you may be sure they were glad to find their feet on the old familiar path again. End of chapter 10 Hey everyone, thank you for listening to The Road to Oz by L. Frank Baum, or Frank L. Baum. I keep mixing that up. Hey, do you want to help keep things straight? Why don't you go to Facebook or, I don't know, Instagram. Check out PGTTCM and Black Clock Audio Tales. You can also, also, also help out the show by rate, reviewing, and subscribing wherever you rate, review, and subscribe. Tell your friends about it. Be like, hey, there's this annoying guy that has a podcast where there's books read. He doesn't read them. He gets people who can actually uh, read do it. So, yeah, check that out. And again, I hope you're all doing well. Support the show that gives you something to listen to. Chapter 11, Johnny Do It, Does It. It's getting awful rough walking, said Dorothy as they trudged along. Button Bright gave a deep sigh and said he was hungry. Indeed, all were hungry and thirsty too, for they had eaten nothing but the apples since breakfast. So their steps lagged and they grew silent and weary. At last they slowly passed over the crest of a barren hill, and saw before them a line of green trees with a strip of grass at their feet. An agreeable fragrance was wafted toward them. Our travelers, hot and tired, ran forward on beholding this refreshing sight, and were not long in coming to the trees. Here they found a spring of pure bubbling water, around which the grass was full of wild strawberry plants, their pretty red berries ripe and ready to eat. Some of the trees bore yellow oranges and some russet pears, so the hungry adventurers suddenly found themselves provided with plenty to eat and to drink. They lost no time in picking the biggest strawberries and ripest oranges, and soon had feasted to their heart's content. Walking beyond the line of trees, they saw before them a fearful, dismal desert, everywhere gray sand. At the edge of this awful waste was a large white sign with black letters neatly painted upon it, and the letters made these words. All persons are warned not to venture upon this desert, for the deadly sands will turn any living flesh to dust in an instant. Beyond this barrier is the land of Oz, but no one can reach that beautiful country because of these destroying sands. Oh, said Dorothy when the shaggy man had read the sign aloud, I've seen this desert before, and it's true. No one can live who tries to walk upon the sands. Then we mustn't try it, answered the shaggy man thoughtfully. But as we can't go ahead and there's no use going back, what shall we do next? Don't know, said Button Bright. I'm sure I don't know either, added Dorothy despondently. I wish father would come for me, sighed the pretty rainbow's daughter. 
I would take you all to live upon the rainbow, where you could dance along its rays from morning till night, without a care or worry of any sort. But I suppose father's too busy just now to search the world for me. Don't want to dance, said Button Bright, sitting down wearily upon the soft grass. It's very good of you, Polly, said Dorothy, but there are other things that would suit me better than dancing on rainbows. I'm afraid they'd be kind of soft and squashy underfoot anyhow, although they're so pretty to look at. This didn't help to solve the problem, and they all fell silent and looked at one another questioningly. Really, I don't know what to do, muttered the shaggy man, gazing hard at Toto, and the little dog wagged his tail and said, Bow, wow, just as if he could not tell either what to do. Button Bright got a stick and began to dig in the earth, and the others watched him for a while in deep thought. Finally, the shaggy man said, It's nearly evening now, so we may as well sleep in this pretty place and get rested. Perhaps by morning we can decide what is best to be done. There was little chance to make beds for the children. But the leaves of the tree grew thickly and would serve to keep off the night dews. So the shaggy man piled soft grasses in the thickest shade, and when it was dark, they lay down and slept peacefully until morning. Long after the others were asleep, however, the shaggy man sat in the starlight by the spring, gazing thoughtfully into its bubbling waters. Suddenly he smiled and nodded to himself. As if he had found a good thought, after which he too laid himself down under a tree and was soon lost in slumber. In the bright morning sunshine, as they ate of the strawberries and sweet, juicy pears, Dorothy said, Polly, can you do any magic? No, dear, answered Polychrome, shaking her dainty head. You ought to know some magic, being the rainbow's daughter, continued Dorothy earnestly. But we who live on the rainbow among the fleecy clouds have no use for magic, replied Polychrome. What I'd like, said Dorothy, is to find some way to cross the desert to the land of Oz and its emerald city. I've crossed it already, you know, more than once. First Cyclone carried my house over, and some silver shoes brought me back again in half a second. Then Ozma took me over on her magic carpet, and the Nome King's magic belt. Took me home that time. You see, it was magic that did it every time, except the first. And we can't expect the cyclone to happen along and take us to the Emerald City now. No, indeed, returned Polly with a shudder. I hate cyclones anyway. That's why I wanted to find out if you could do any magic, said the little Kansas girl. I'm sure I can't, and I'm sure Button Bright can't. And the only magic the shaggy man has is the love magnet, which won't help us much. Don't be too sure of that, my dear, spoke the shaggy man, a smile on his donkey face. I may not be able to do magic myself, but I can call to us a powerful friend who loves me because I own the love magnet, and this friend surely will be able to help us. Who is your friend? asked Dorothy. Johnny Doit. What can Johnny do? Anything, answered the shaggy man with confidence. Ask him to come, she exclaimed eagerly. The shaggy man took the love magnet from his pocket and unwrapped the paper that surrounded it. Holding the charm in the palm of his hand, he looked at it steadily and said these words 
Dear Johnny Do It, come to me. I need you bad as bad can be. Well, here I am, said a cheery little voice. But you shouldn't say you need me bad, cause I'm always, always good. At this, they quickly whirled around to find a funny little man sitting on a big copper chest, puffing smoke from a long pipe. His hair was gray, his whiskers were gray, and these whiskers were so long that he had wound the ends of them around his waist and tied them in a hard knot underneath the leather apron that reached from his chin nearly to his feet, and which was soiled and scratched as if it had been used a long time. His nose was broad and stuck up a little, but his eyes were twinkling and merry. The little man's hands and arms were as hard and tough as the leather in his apron, and Dorothy thought Johnny Do It looked as if he had done a lot of hard work in his lifetime. Good morning, Johnny, said the shaggy man. Thank you for coming to me so quickly. I never waste time, said the newcomer promptly. But what's happened to you? Where did you get that donkey head? Really, I wouldn't have known you at all, Shaggy Man, if I hadn't looked at your feet. The Shaggy Man introduced Johnny Dewitt to Dorothy and Toto and Button Bright and the Rainbow's daughter, and told him the story of their adventures, adding that they were anxious now to reach the Emerald City in the land of Oz, where Dorothy had friends who would take care of them and send them safe home again. But, said he, we find that we can't cross this desert, which turns all living flesh that touches it into dust. So I have asked you to come and help us. Johnny Dewitt puffed his pipe and looked carefully at the dreadful desert in front of them, stretching so far away they could not see its end. You must ride, he said briskly. What in? asked the shaggy man. In a sand boat, which has runners like a sled and sails like a ship. The wind will blow you swiftly across the desert, and the sand cannot touch your flesh to turn it into dust. Good, cried Dorothy, clapping her hands delightedly. That was the way the magic carpet took us across. We didn't have to touch the horrid sand at all. But where is the sand boat? asked the shaggy man, looking all around him. I'll make you one, said Johnny Dewitt. As he spoke, he knocked the ashes from his pipe and put it in his pocket. Then he unlocked the copper chest that lifted the lid, and Dorothy saw it was full of shining tools of all sorts and shapes. Johnny Dewitt moved quickly now, so quickly that they were astonished at the work he was able to accomplish. He had in his chest a tool for everything he wanted to do, and these must have been magic tools because they did their work so fast and so well. The man hummed a little song as he worked, and Dorothy tried to listen to it, she thought the words were something like these. The only way to do a thing is do it when you can, and do it cheerfully and sing and work and think and plan. The only real unhappy one is one who dares to shirk. The only really happy one is one who cares to work. Whatever Johnny Dewitt was singing, he was certainly doing things, and they all stood by and watched him in amazement. He seized an axe and, in a couple of chops, felled a tree. Next he took a saw and, in a few minutes, sawed the tree trunk into broad, long boards. He then nailed the boards together into the shape of a boat about twelve feet long and four feet wide. 
He cut from another tree a long, slender pole which, when trimmed of its branches and fastened upright in the center of the boat, served as a mast. From the chest he drew a coil of rope and a big bundle of canvas, and with these, still humming his song, he rigged up a sail, arranging it so it could be raised or lowered upon the mast. Dorothy fairly gasped with wonder to see the thing grow so speedily before her eyes. and both Button Bright and Polly looked on with the same absorbed interest. "'It ought to be painted,' said Johnny Dewitt, tossing his tools back into the chest, "'for that would make it look prettier. But though I can paint it for you in three seconds, it would take an hour to dry, and that's a waste of time.' "'We don't care how it looks,' said the shaggy man. "'If only it will take us across the desert.' "'It will do that,' declared Johnny Dewitt. All you need worry about is tipping over. Did you ever sail a ship? I've seen one sailed, said the shaggy man. Good. Sail this boat the way you've seen a ship sailed, and you'll be across the sands before you know it. With this, he slammed down the lid of the chest, and the noise made them all wink. While they were winking, the workmen disappeared, tools and all. End of Chapter 11 Chapter 12 The Deadly Desert Crossed Oh, that's too bad, cried Dorothy. I wanted to thank Johnny Dewitt for all his kindness to us. He hasn't time to listen to thanks, replied the shaggy man, but I'm sure he knows we are grateful. I suppose he is already at work in some other part of the world. They now looked more carefully at the sandboat. and saw that the bottom was molded with two sharp runners which would glide through the sand. The front of the boat was pointed like the bow of a ship, and there was a rudder at the stern to steer by. It had been built just at the edge of the desert, so that all its length lay upon the gray sand except the after part, which still rested on the strip of grass. "'Get in, my dears,' said the shaggy man. I'm sure I can manage this boat as well as any sailor. All you need do is sit still in your places. Dorothy got in, Toto in her arms, and sat on the bottom of the boat just in front of the mast. Button Bright sat in front of Dorothy, while Polly leaned over the bow. The shaggy man knelt behind the mast. When all were ready, he raised the sail halfway. The wind caught it. At once the sandboat started forward, slowly at first, then with added speed. The shaggy man pulled the sail way up, and they flew so fast over the deadly desert that everyone held fast to the sides of the boat and scarcely dared to breathe. The sand lay in billows and was in places very uneven, so that the boat rocked dangerously from side to side. but it never quite tipped over, and the speed was so great that the shaggy man himself became frightened and began to wonder how he could make the ship go slower. If we're spilled in the sand in the middle of the desert, Dorothy thought to herself, we'll be nothing but dust in a few minutes, and that will be the end of us. But they were not spilled, and by and by Polychrome, who was clinging to the bow and looking straight ahead, saw a dark line before them and wondered what it was. 
It grew plainer every second until she discovered it to be a row of jagged rocks at the edge of the desert, while high above these rocks she could see a tableland of green grass and beautiful trees. Look out! she screamed to the shaggy man. Go slowly or we shall smash into the rocks! He heard her and tried to pull down the sail, but the wind would not let go of the broad canvas and the ropes had become tangled. Nearer and nearer they drew to the great rocks, and the shaggy man was in despair because he could do nothing to stop the wild rush of the sand boat. They reached the edge of the desert and bumped squarely into the rocks. There was a crash as Dorothy, Button Bright, Toto, and Polly flew up in the air in a curve like a skyrocket's, one after another. Landing high upon the grass, where they rolled and tumbled for a time before they could stop themselves. The shaggy man flew after them head first and lighted in a heap beside Toto, who, being much excited at the time, seized one of the donkey's ears between his teeth and shook and worried it as hard as he could, growling angrily. The shaggy man made the little dog let go and sat up to look around him. Dorothy was feeling one of her front teeth, which was loosened by knocking against her knee as she fell. Polly was looking sorrowfully at a rent in her pretty gauze gown, and Button Bright's fox head had stuck fast in a gopher hole, and he was wiggling his little fat legs frantically in an effort to get free. Otherwise, they were unhurt by the adventure, so the shaggy man stood up. And pulled Button Bright out of the hole and went to the edge of the desert to look at the sand boat. It was a mere mass of splinters now, crushed out of shape against the rocks. The wind had torn away the sail and carried it to the top of a tall tree, where the fragments of it fluttered like a white flag. Well, he said cheerfully, we're here, but where the here is, I don't know. It must be some part of the land of Oz, observed Dorothy, coming to his side. Must it? Of course it must. We're across the desert, aren't we? And somewhere in the middle of Oz is the Emerald City. To be sure, said the shaggy man, nodding. Let's go there. But I don't see any people about to show us the way, she continued. Let's hunt for them, he suggested. There must be people somewhere, but perhaps they did not expect us, and so were not at hand to give us a welcome. End of chapter 12